Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body inclusive non diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Fiona Sutherland. I'm a dietitian and registered yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. So you may be aware that the Mindful Dietitian as I guess a business and a community turned three recently and happy birthday to us, I guess. Uh, So in those three years, we have definitely gone from infancy right through to toddlerhood. There has been some tantrums mostly from me, not from anybody else, a few meltdowns, lots and lots of wonderful happy moments as well. So it's been quite the ride and I just really thank all of you for being alongside me and and being such an incredible supportive community as we have grown together in understanding and deepening and broadening our our skills, our knowledge and our experience in weight inclusive practice. So again, thank you so much. I'm incredibly grateful to each and every one of you. So one person that has been so supportive of us at The Mindful Dietitian is my guest today, Megan Saichi, who is a registered dietitian from the US. So a little bit more about Megan. Megan is passionate about working with her clients from a weight-neutral, health-at-every-size perspective and believes in self-compassion as a foundation for rebuilding trust, connection and confidence in one's own body. Megan focuses on centering her clients as an expert in their own explorations and healing processes and supports her clients in building connection and confidence in their own innate intuition. Megan believes that all bodies, regardless of size, shape, colour, ability, age or gender identity, deserve access to respectful and high quality care. Her work with clients incorporates weight neutral approaches to self-care, utilising a health at every size approach. She works with her clients to support them in defining health for themselves and dismantling the idea that health is a moral obligation. Megan is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, a CEDRD, and is currently working towards her body trust certification. So this was such a wonderful discussion with Megan and we have only met the once a couple of years ago now, gosh that time's flown, at uh, the body image workshop that Marcy Evans and I hosted in Portland. So this was um, in between babies for Megan. She's just had a baby girl not too long ago, which uh, of course, you know, adds so much um, pleasure and tumultuous chaos into our into our lives when these little people enter the world in, in expected and unexpected ways. But we really dive into some of the, I guess, the nuances and complexities that comes, al- comes along with doing weight-inclusive dietetic practice, including topics such as, you know, who, who gets to name us as fat-positive dietetics? Dietitians. Is that us or is that our clients? Um, we also talk about some of the misappropriations or myths associated with health at every size. Uh, we also talk about um, her establishment of the multidisciplinary team, Rooted Healthcare, of which she is a part. 
the importance of authentic allyship so that we can offer care and services that are body affirming and the development of Megan and her, um, some of her um, graduate students developed Health at Every Size Aligned Medical Nutrition Therapy Resources, which um, are all in the episode in the show notes. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. We kind of go um, across many winding paths, but Megan is just so generous, so wise, and, um, and, and an incredibly um, passionate Health at Every Size dietitian. Hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Okay. Hey, Megan, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So you and I cross paths regularly in the online dietetic space, which is just such a pleasure. And we had the opportunity to actually meet in person at um, Marcy Evans and My Body Image Workshop in Portland, which uh, it I feel like saying maybe it was almost two years ago now, which is actually a little bit frightening. <laughs> Time is passing rapidly. Yes, I think you're right. I think, I think it's it, close to two years. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And you have been a very busy person over the past two years or so. So why don't you get us started with, you know, telling us a little bit about you, your business, what you do in the world and, you know, what kind of keeps you enthusiastic in this space? Yeah, definitely. So I am a part of sort of two different really wonderful groups. The first is called Creating Peace with Food. Um, and we're a group of dietitians who all practice from a health at every size, weight inclusive perspective. Um, and then I'm also part of another group called Rooted Heart Healthcare. And very similar. We all practice from the same health at every size, um, anti-oppressive, fat positive perspective. Um, and the difference with Rooted Heart is there is um, a broader variety of disciplines who are also in the group. So we have dietitians, we have therapists, um, naturopathic doctors, um, and other body work folks, which is really wonderful. Um, and it reinforces that folks at Creating Peace with Food and the folks at Rooted Heart Healthcare are all really wonderful referrals um, that I can utilize regularly. And um, I've been with Creating Peace with Food now for three and a half years, I think, three and a half years. And then Rooted Heart has been going on for a little over a year now. Um, and so we're still learning and growing and figuring it all out, but it's really wonderful um, making that transition into private practice with sort of that unit of connection to other really wonderful providers has been probably the most important step that I took when I shifted into private practice. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. So what is it that you and your colleagues at Rooted Heart Healthcare, what is it that you share in common and, and what kind of brought you together in the first place? Well, it's really interesting because we recently had a retreat where we really tried to solidify our values, the things that are the core of all of our, our work, the reason we're doing this, uh, the reason that we've come together as a cooperative. And we, we kept it really simple. And we basically just wrote down our all of our individual values on sticky notes. And then we sort of put them onto a table and created this, um, what ended up looking like these really long towers of the values that were really similar. And we sort of bunched them into these four different categories. And now we're really trying to um, give more words and language around that to create our value statement. But what was really cool was we came up with 
four really common themes across all of the providers. Um, and that really reinforced that we were all in this for similar reasons and we had similar goals um, and a lot of like similar driving elements to the work. Uh, and it started basically with Stephanie Hansen and I used to share space in a tiny little office and she's a therapist i'm a dietitian and we sort of had this what what i call a big hairy audacious goal like this really big goal of having this healthcare cooperative where there's all sorts of different providers who are all practicing from a fat positive weight inclusive health at every size perspective where we can be really confident that any of our clients are going to be in good hands with any of the other providers in this space. And she really pushed hard and got space and she's great at recruiting. And so we got some really amazing providers to come on board um, and, and start doing this work in this way collaboratively. And it's been beautiful and it continues to grow. And we're still, like I said, figuring it all out, uh, but it's a really exciting time. That is so exciting. My goodness, what an incredible place for people to come where they can feel safe, knowing mm -hmm. that it's a, it's a weight inclusive team, that they're not just getting one person who, uh, you know, who, who is aligned with weight inclusive care and then kind of cross your fingers with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see that a lot when we're sourcing referrals, trying to find like, does anyone have a primary care provider? Does anyone have a prescriber? Does anyone have X who is, you know, health at every size or eating disorder aware or something. And, and more often than not, it's sort of like crickets or there's like maybe one or two folks who are full or they're like, this person might be okay, but like nobody else in their office. Don't go to anybody else in the office um, because it's more likely to be harmful care. Um, and so we were finding how, how frustrating that was, um, that it was so challenging to find options we were confident in mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and we where you could all be aligned not only with each other but also with your client and having their well-being mm. front and foremost and understanding that someone's well-being doesn't happen in a vacuum right absolutely yes yes so megan do you mind if we just uh loop back just for a moment because I heard you say a couple of terms there which were so resonant for me but I'm mm. not sure that um, our colleagues and maybe folks listening might not be super aware of these words and, and really what they mean. So do you mind um, telling telling me well telling us given that it's not just you and me really I mean it feels <laughs> like it but it's actually not um, <laughs> or at least I hope it's not uh, that so what does being a fat positive provider what does that actually mean? Like what kind of, uh, what kind of service are you offering? What does that, what do those words mean? Yeah. So I kind of think about being a fat positive provider from almost like a logistical standpoint in the sense of when someone walks into my office, I want them to feel like they are, the, the space was designed with them in mind. And so there are, is comfortable seating without arms on the chairs. There is equipment that fits bodies of all sizes. Um, and, and as sort of we move from maybe just the off physical office space itself into the actual care, um, really prioritizing 
things like trauma-informed care and getting consent, um, consent for taking vitals, um, whether that whether that does or does not include weight um, is up to the individual client themselves. Um, and the majority of the clients that I work with as a dietitian, um, weight is a is not a part of sort of the diagnostic criteria that we use. It's not a part of the um, what I use to help determine uh, interventions, those sorts of things that it as it is in a much more sort of weight-centric treatment uh, paradigm or model, um, which is sort of like the general healthcare world. Um, and so we sort of set weight to the side and are able to look more holistically at the person as an individual. What are their needs? What are their goals? Um, what are the barriers? And how would they like to work collaboratively with their providers um, in a space that's sort of separate from a weight-centered approach? Um, and then also really recognizing and affirming the diversity of body sizes. Um, and so in addition to uh, a sort of a structure that is moving away from that weight-centric perspective, we're also... Um, creating a space that feels really, um, I think, like I said before, designed with, with folks in larger bodies in mind. Um, we have beautiful artwork from Shug McDaniels. Um, we have um, the Body Love Box from Lindley Ashline, all sorts of things that help to really shift um, what I think folks in larger bodies experience when they walk into a more typical medical office um, or provider office. Yes, yeah. that was a little bit roundabout. No, that was so great because that's actually a question that I've had before. And so to follow on from that, I'm wondering, um, well, one question I have for you is who names a who names a provider as being fat positive? Is that us or is that our clients or is that our mm. community? Like who kind of, who names us as that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, and that sort of makes me think of the word ally um, and, and the sense that we can work really hard to be allies, but we claiming ourselves to be an ally is oftentimes a much more sort of hollow label. Mm. Mm. Um, and so I think fat positive is, is something really similar that we can, as individual providers really strive to be fat positive providers. And, um, we, especially providers in thin bodies as I am, aren't going to really be able to be the, the one to say whether or not we actually are practicing in that way. Um, and so I think folks in larger bodies are, are in a unique position where they can, um, where they are going to be able to let us know if we are behaving in ways, if we are offering care services in ways that are actually fat affirming um, or sort of tainted in ways that, that we may not see because of our privileges um, and actually doing harm rather than helping. Yeah, I love that. So on a, on a practical note, is that something that we can invite maybe um, people from the fat communities or maybe a, a colleague 
at a higher weight in a larger body to maybe do a, a bit of an inventory for us or what on a you know on a on a, on a kind of a practical level you know when we're really making deliberate and conscious mm. efforts to be um acting in and behaving in ways that are very um uh, body inclusive um, are there way maybe we could hire someone to to take a look at our practice or I don't know what are your ideas about how we could do that yeah yeah definitely so I've hired some folks as consultants to help with sort of revamping uh, our sort of initial nutrition intake assessments to uh, review that for sort of like larger uh, umbrellas of inclusivity um, being fat positive as one of them um, also being sort of more culturally sensitive, um, more trans inclusive, and similarly hiring consultants to make sure the space is appropriate. Um, but then like buying trainings from folks in larger bodies, buying yes. trainings, doing trainings uh, with folks who have lived experience. Um, and then as a smaller bodied provider, making sure that whenever I'm engaging in training myself, if I'm doing a training, if I'm giving a talk, um, making sure that I'm acknowledging my privileges and being very um, careful not to speak for folks in larger bodies, for example, um, or other groups that I am not a part of and making sure that I'm incorporating the voices by either, by either sort of co-facilitating with someone who can sort of communicate that lived experience um, or in, uh, in other ways, um, sharing the words of the lived experience of those folks without to me uh, inserting my own perspective, which is going to be harmful. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's only your perspective through the lens of privilege, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, when we, when, whenever we can be conduits to, um, to people, understanding a little bit more about how they can pursue their own learnings through mm. the through the lens of people with lived experience that's going to elevate everyone just that little exactly. bit exactly mm -hmm. yes yes yeah mm -hmm. well thank you so much for kind of stepping us through that process because uh, i know that a lot of dietitians they they really seek to understand more about how we can do better in the in the care that we're mm. offering to people and we really we do want to be offering those weight inclusive services and um i know i i definitely remember and still you know I learn new things every day as I'm sure you would mm. acknowledge as Definitely. well um, and that sometimes the how it's like we have this willingness and then it's like okay mm. well then what are the steps that we can take so you know you kind of stepped us through kind of the definition of what that might look like what that might sound like and then paying people for their expertise and for their lived experience so that mm. we can understand what that actually looks like in practice. Right, right. Yeah, to the degree that we can. And where sort of the limitations of understanding starts, then that's where sort of our trust can can sort of make up the difference. So we can trust those people in larger bodies and their experiences, even if we can't understand it entirely, which we can't um, if we have not been there before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're humans meeting other humans. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. It's a, a huge gift. Huge totally. gift. It's amazing. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, I just really appreciate you stepping us through that, Megan, because that is something that I know a lot of us have on our mind in terms of, yeah. you know, offering, offering more inclusive care and, and doing better where we can.
So Megan, I'm wondering if we might just shift gears a little at this point in time, because about a year ago now, uh, I know that you, together with some interns, you had developed some weight inclusive MNT resources. So for those people who are not sure what MNT stands for, it's medical nutrition therapy, which essentially is kind of the, the core application um, of nutrition and food to particular conditions that humans might experience. So it's, it's really the foundation of dietetic practice in so many ways. And I just absolutely love these resources. So I'm wondering if you could take us through a little bit of the evolution of this project that you did with your interns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of this started with, um, like seeing a lot of posts on our professional Facebook groups, looking for non-harmful resources for different health conditions, um, weight inclusive or health at every size oriented resources. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of them. A lot of it was like, try this, but like, here's the caveat or this one might help, but like have a conversation or maybe like cut this part out. Um, and so it, there was just a lack of this type of health at every size or weight inclusive medical nutrition therapy resources. Um, and so my dietetic interns, Emily Iser and Elizabeth Kelsey really were like champions with taking this project on. I didn't give them a ton of, um, of guidelines. I just let them know like, we need to translate. That's what we talked a lot about, like translate the medical nutrition therapy that's out there through the, the lens of health at every size so that we can get the, the core nutrition information and remove the fat phobia and the diet mentality from those recommendations so that when we're done with a finished product, um, it is going to be something that is safer for most folks to be able to read and incorporate without resulting in more oppression or more weight stigma or um, exacerbating eating disorders or anything like that. And so that's what we really wanted. And we also really wanted to not only have sort of the conversation about food within these handouts, but also help people to look more broadly at, at health um, instead of zooming in on just the food, which is an important piece but health is so much more complex. It's so much more complicated. Um, and so we talk a little bit also about social determinants of health um, and helping people just get a bit of a broader perspective and to be able to practice compassion with themselves and compassion with the medical nutrition therapy recommendations. Um, so again, so that this resource becomes something that's helpful versus overwhelming or harmful. Mm. And that's incredibly important, isn't it? Because for many people, especially people who are already received with um, some stigmatizing care in the world anyway, whenever they have a diagnosis or a change in an existing condition, there can often be like a side serve of shame that comes along with it. And, yes. you know, and what, I mean, well, help us kind of understand, you know, what happens when people experience shame in healthcare system? Yeah, I mean, it's, it shuts down. It shuts down our, our ability to sort of take in information. It shuts down our ability to get curious about the things that are going on for us and use that to sort of move towards support. It shuts down our ability to take risks and experiment with things to figure out what works for us in the midst of all of the different recommendations we might be getting from all of the different healthcare providers um, that may 
in some ways be contradictory and confusing. Um, shame is really, it's smothering in so many ways. It really is, isn't it? It really um, gets in the way of us being able to access what we already know about ourselves and, and this, yeah. the skills and the intuitive sense of knowing and understanding ourselves. And it just seems that you're absolutely, I think that word's brilliant. It kind of smothers more than blocks. It smothers. It just mm. almost like a muting kind of, um, a, a muting of the sense that we have of being able and capable and resourceful um you know and all those parts of us get kind of pushed to the side in yeah. in priority of what we think we quote unquote should be doing in the pursuit mm. of health whatever that is right right yeah and it starts to reinforce the healthcare provider as the expert yes and that they're necessary in order for me to be able to do this and figure this out mm -hmm. um, and it really takes away yeah that individual autonomy and um, devalues that individual wisdom and lived experience in the process mm -hmm. which I think is harmful and interferes with healing and interferes with um, a person's ability to figure out the best ways for them to live with their condition um, because they remove themselves, that shame removes them from the equation. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it also, um, it just, as you were speaking then, I was thinking, oh my goodness, it's also really so strongly rooted in power structures in, in, mm. in white supremacy, um, you know, in, in, you know, the, the uh, power, power oppression kind of hierarchy just gets, really perpetuated yeah yeah you're right it really does and finding ways to sort of come alongside your client as a collaborator in mm -hmm. the experience rather than um the expert that sort of yeah holds all of the wisdom and knowledge in this little box and is sold out <laughs> in, in these small doses to keep mm. you coming and keep you needing yeah, us right. I, I talk a lot about like ideally one day I won't have a job because folks will have gotten to the place, the world will have changed and we'll yes. have gotten to the place where um, this interpretation or this sort of translation isn't necessary anymore because we've come back to this sort of trusting um, and sort of connected place in our bodies and our, and our lived experience, but we've got a long ways to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, what a dream in our career lifetime to be able to do ourselves actually out of business. That would be incredible. Yes, it would be so great. <laughs> that would be so amazing. So amazing. Um, so can you give us some examples, Megan, of the subjects of your MNT? Like as in the topics, I should say, not subjects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I just printed out a bunch of these that are going to go into Lindley Ashline's body love box um, sort of as the months go along but the first one I I printed out was GERD so gastroesophageal reflux disease um, I've got we've got PCOS we have diabetes we have um, hypertension we have hyperlipidemia there's more <laughs> I'll, my I'll, brain's not connecting to but it goes on <laughs> I'll link I'll link to your website so that people can take a look at those right. Perfect. Um, both you know if you're a provider or you're a community member or you're somebody who really wants to seek weight inclusive care because taking taking these resources even along to your provider 
is mm. a really great way that we can advocate for our own care in ways that might be tough to do verbally as well. Yeah, that's such a good recommendation and something I hadn't thought about, right? Because there is a, a lack of providers who do provide this kind of care and the only way we can increase the numbers is to educate. Mm -hmm. um, and it certainly is not the responsibility of the oppressed to teach the oppressor. And sometimes we don't have other options to mm -hmm. find new providers for lots of different reasons. And so uh, if there are different resources and ways that we can maybe like crack the door open a little bit more for our provider to sort of shift the way that they're providing care, um, that could be really valuable too. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's incredibly important. So um, I really like your point about saying that, you know, for folks that have experienced especially a great deal of oppression, like educating people in power positions is really mm. not their job at the end of the day, not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering your thoughts on, you know, how can we as um, providers with privilege, um, how, can, how can we do that job a, a bit more effectively without also then speaking over? So what's, what's our role in, you know, really, really trying to build that bridge and strengthen the, the, the connection with other providers um, to enhance um, the, I guess, um, the chances that our clients and our community members are going not not going to have to do that work themselves yeah yeah my brain sort of like splits in two different directions when you when you ask that question um part part of my brain went back to like we have to go back to the beginning of like training and education and the way mm. these programs are structured mm -hmm. so that we are inviting in a much more diverse array of of people into the professions um, that dietetics, at least in the States, I think less than 7% of dietitians identify as not white. Um, I don't think there are any statistics on, on sort of like body size. Actually, maybe there was one that was talking about, um, average, average quote unquote BMI. Um, but now I, I'm failing to recall what that was, but on the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and Un so unsurprisingly. Right. So right. we just don't have the representation we need, nor is the way that dietetics education works set up to invite in a broad array of folks, right? It's a very sort of privileged experience to be able to go through now needing to get a master's degree here pretty soon in the States and then needing to do it unpaid or where you mm -hmm. have to pay for your dietetic internship. Um, it's just very limiting and it's very similarly limiting from a therapeutic standpoint in terms of becoming a therapist. Um, medical schools are, you know, off the rails off the charts, in terms of yeah. cost. Um, and so it really is negatively impacting the folks that we can even, um, be being present in more sort of marginalized bodies within the profession. Um, and then I think if my think about the way my brain went the other way, um, it's, it's sort of like collaborating with, with folks in those marginalized identities um, and, and making trainings and, and resources and education really accessible um, so that more folks who are already in the field can utilize them. And also recognizing that the longer folks have been in the field, the more difficult it becomes mm. to sort of shift to a new way of, of doing things, especially when we're talking about moving from a weight centric to a weight inclusive paradigm. Um, 
um, and recognizing that we've probably done a lot of harm when we've been engaged in more of that weight centric paradigm. Um, that's really uncomfortable. And so it's oftentimes easier to sort of ignore that harm and ignore the reality of this alternative way of practicing that's likely much more um, conducive to sort of care and healing um, and just sort of like stay in, in that pattern or that pathway um, that we're already on. Yeah. And so finding ways to, how do we, how do we, with all of those barriers, um, get in there and start shaking things up. I think that's a really hard thing. I don't have a lot of answers. Yeah. Well, no, I think, well, nobody has all the answers. Um, but it was interesting. I was uh, running some workshops interstate just this week with Fiona Willer and yeah. we had this really great conversation actually with, with our participants, which was about 25 other dietitians um, from various kind of backgrounds, community, clinical, quite complex mental health, private practice, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was a wonder. It was just an excellent crowd. And we were talking about, how we communicate um, dietetic care, weight inclusive dietetic care to be specific um, in way in ways that are really clear and that uh, help to communicate what we do do rather than what we don't do. Um, yeah. Because I'm not sure about you, but even the word non-diet, I mean, I call myself a non-diet dietitian, so it kind of tells you what I don't do, but doesn't mm. necessarily communicate what I do do. Um, right. So one of the things for, for what it's worth for this part of our conversation is that we, um, is that we thought that finding common ground was going to be a really great place to start because yes. no matter what, no matter where our clients and communities are, are at and no matter where our colleagues and, and fellow health providers, no matter where they're at, there will be some kind of common ground and so coming from that place of common ground I think probably helps us develop a, a sound platform mm. from which to um, from which to express and share ideas and not only just coming from a research place, which is often very tempting, right? And and not to be dismissed. Mm. I think that's kind of part of the conversation, but also to bring in the value of, and I know how much you care about this, of, you know, the value of the lived experience right. and being able to express that in ways that encourages curiosity rather than mm. shut down type of thing, which we see quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. You're so right. That foundation of we are healthcare providers because we're invested in the well-being of the folks that we're working with yeah of course. yeah and we we really really do want the best for the people that we are working alongside mm -hmm. you know and that the way in which we frame that and the lens that we're looking through uh, you know about how to move towards well-being, or 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 how to um, how to uh, encourage people to become more curious about how they can use their experience to foster uh, an enhanced sense of well-being. You know, whatever that is, everybody's different. Mm. Um, I think is is really pivotal and something that I, I also think you know a lot of doctors in particular are under such pressure. They're under time pressure totally. and, um, and often, you know, just trying to kind of get to the point mm. when the, the point is nowhere near where you're trying. Like it's 
it's a completely different point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. So many competing pressures and, and let loosen it. Of course, at the end of the day, we're all doing what we can, right? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, another thing that I know that you are involved with and have been involved with is like a body, the body trust community in your, mm. not only in your local area, now it's kind of going global body trust and, and yes. being a body trust provider. So can you let us know a little bit about your experience being a body trust provider? Um, and then I heard, it was from you, by the way, that mm -hmm. there is an exciting <laughs> event coming up, which I would love you to share with us if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share more about my body trust experience first. And this, it's been a little over a year now that I've been working on the certification and I think it usually doesn't take quite that long, but the, the nice thing is that everybody can go at their own pace. Um, but there's this really unique, um, sort of all the things that I was experiencing in sort of these separate sort of dots in my mind as things that I knew were important, I wanted to learn more about, I wanted to integrate, uh, but because I hadn't had as much experience or time connecting all those dots was really having a lot of trouble with that. And so Be Nourished Body Trust certification program really felt like the way that I could connect all, all of the dots with um, things like this sort of anti-oppressive, trauma-informed, um, intuitive eating or connected eating, um, health at every size, of course, fat positive process of working with clients, um, body stories becoming something that um, I was finding in my practice were really, really important, but nothing that I'd ever gotten any training or education on in my dietetics work. Um, and so these needs that I was finding were coming up in my practice felt really aligned with what the certification could offer. And so I found that um, I, I'm filling in those, those holes and I'm connecting those dots in a way that is really sort of deepening my ability to connect with and support my clients in sessions. Um, plus, you just get connected to so many amazing people. There are so many really brilliant, amazing minds that are doing this work, um, who are working on this body trust certification and you're right, like more and more cohorts and more and more folks from all over the place. Um, it's this really valuable network of, of people, um, that are all working really hard in these really sort of deeply passionate and really sort of value aligned ways, which is great. Um, and the Body Trust Summit is something that's new. This is going to be the first year that they're doing it. Um, it's going to be in March of 2020. Um, and I believe the marketing is going to kick into gear here pretty soon. Um, so you'll start seeing more, but it's going to be um, just a lot of really sort of deep and enriching top talks on these sorts of topics um, from Body Trust providers. And I'll be speaking with a couple of other body trust providers on parenting with body trust. So sort of incorporating this, um, not just in, well, what I'm talking about is like how important it is for us as parents or sort of the adults, even if we're not, um, you know, I mean, we parent in lots of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be the parent of a child to sort of parent in terms of like coaching or teaching or, or interacting with kids in any way, really, um, that we have to do our own work. 
in order to be able to support our kids in growing up in sort of trusting and connected ways with their body. Um, so we're, I'm really excited. We're going to be recording that talk in, I think, two weeks. Um, and then the ball is really going to start rolling on, on all of the marketing and then y'all will be able to see it, but it's free. Um, and I think it's going to be really exciting. Oh, I can't wait. Seriously, I can't wait. I mean, I adore Hillary and Dana. And for those of you who are not familiar, so um, Hillary Canavy and Dana Sturtevant are a body trust, aren't they? They're, they're Be yes, Nourished. They Be Nourished is their business. And they are the um, they are the original body trust uh, provider, l leaders, teachers, educators, mm. just incredible women who who are really um, doing so much, especially yeah. in kind of the health professional communities, to, you know, to, to really support, uh, to support us all to, you know, lean into that, which can help us do better in the world, which I just love. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That is so exciting. Well, I'm particularly looking forward to your session, although I guess when I look at everybody else's topics, I'll probably just explode with joyousness, yes. I would say. Yeah. It's one of those where you're like, I want to go there and I want to go there and do that one and that one and that one. And they're going to be released so that you can see all of them. Nothing will be happening at the same time, like at a, like an in, in-person conference where you have to make choices. Yes. Um, so it'll be, yeah, really exciting. That is so cool because, you know, when you go to conferences and then all your, all the sessions that you want to go to are all concurrent. Yes. And you just yes. think... No, it's just shit. No, this is not no. going to work. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to work for me. No, exactly. That sounds good. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. Well, I'll put that, I'll be definitely putting that link. As soon as it goes up, I'll put the link in, even if it's not kind of, um, you know, when, when this is mm. published, it might not be up, but you know, I'll add it when I can. Great. So what does 2020 look like for you, Megan? Yeah, well, I, Christy Fazio and I have decided to do this um, training series for professionals to try to put more information out there about eating disorders, partially because selfishly, I want to extend my referral network where I have more than one or two therapists in my area or provide doctors or what have you that I can refer to. Um, so we're calling it Eating Disorder Aware, a training series, and it's going to be five, five Thursdays from January to April, I think is five months, um, where we're connecting for two hours and we're using things like case studies and some didactic education and um, lots of resources to help provide more information about what eating disorders are, how to spot them, um, how to differentiate between maybe cultural norms around food and what mm. we might identify as more normal behavior around food or body or movement. Um, and helping providers to decide if they are resourced enough to continue to care for this client or if they need to sort of refer them out to someone with more experience. But we've got to start somewhere with building confidence and building that experience base. Um, and so that's sort of our hope that we can um, help people feel more prepared to start to explore caring for folks with eating disorders more competently. Um, and we, we're hoping to, to uh, attract folks who are who go beyond dietitians and therapists. We, we'd love to see doctors. We'd love to see nurses, physical therapists, um, coaches, teachers. I'm thinking of like all of the different things that I want resources for. Um, 
I don't want this to stop at just uh, dietitians and therapists. Mm-hmm. Christy's a therapist. I'm a dietitian. Uh, but I think that this could be really useful and powerful for folks beyond beyond those two professions too. Oh, so we're doing that starting in January. Oh, that sounds so wonderful! Yay! So we've, we're we're kind of clocking up the links here, aren't we? Of um all the so. all the fantastic things for people to participate in in 2020. Yay! Yeah, it's really it, exciting. It is. It's so exciting. So uh, where can people find you on social media? Your website, if because um, I'm yes. sure that you know you've you've referred to so many amazing resources. So I'm sure that people will want to follow you. Yeah. So probably the, the easiest is on Instagram. My Instagram is, I manage the creating peace Instagram. So it's at creating peace with food and that's peace, like peace sign, not a piece of paper. No, as um, in P-E-A-C-E. C-E. Yep. You got yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and then that also there's a Facebook group with the same at, I don't know what the lingo is. Um, and then I have a a personal professional Facebook that's at Megan Saichi RDN. Um, and those are probably the best places. And then from there you can link to my website either for, um, creating peace with food or, um, rooted heart is www.rooted-heart.com. Um, and then I think that's it. I think that's all my places. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, thank you. You too. <laughs> uh, I'll um, I'll be celebrating in proxy because we don't we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Here, I was so. just as I said that I was like, wait a minute, is there Thanksgiving okay. in Australia? I'll receive that. I'm happy to receive yeah. any kind of greeting like that. That's fine. I will be sending you delicious food vibes. Oh, please do. That would be amazing. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I hope the holidays are as, as smooth as possible and um, really look forward to staying in touch. So Megan, again, thank you so much for coming on and such a fantastic conversation. Uh, we, I so really much. do wish you all the best for a, a peaceful start to 2020. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to look up those resources on MNT, the link for um, any of um, Megan and Christie's amazing um, eating disorders aware resource um, coming up for training between uh, January and April or May, maybe. I'm not sure. I think you're right. I think it's May. It might be May. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) All that will be um, in the notes for you to go and take a look at. Thank you so much, Megan. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. 